We have a special guest for you today on No Crying in Baseball, and we are kicking off Women in Baseball Week. I'm very excited that we're going to be able to celebrate in this way this year because today we are joined by Dr. Kat Williams, who is a professor of American history at Marshall University, but importantly, the board president of the International Women's Baseball Center. Kat's the author of The All-American Girls After the AAGP. PBL, How Playing Pro Ball Shaped Their Lives. And she's here to talk with us about a new book, which Patty and I have just read and we are dying to start talking about, called Isabel Lefty Alvarez, The Improbable Life of a Cuban-American Baseball Star. Thanks so much for joining us here today, Kat. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Anytime we can talk baseball, I'm happy to do it. And we're always happy to do it. Yep. We always start off with our guests asking about your personal connection to baseball. So what would you say is your personal connection to baseball? Well, um, I know you just told me your shows are an hour, so we may need to expand that. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I believe that baseball, uh, both literally and figuratively, uh, saved my life as a kid. Um, I was... I was that kid. I was the quote dumb kid. Um, I had an undiagnosed learning disability. Um, and you know, my parents didn't have a lot of money, you know, it was the kid, like it didn't fit, you know, and, um, and school was hard. And so I was made fun of and the whole, you know, the whole thing. Um, but when I got home, I, uh, changed clothes and I went out and I played baseball and I was good. I was good at it. Uh, the boy I played, you know, my story is not unusual. I played with the boys in the neighborhood. I was the only girl. And I knew that baseball, I knew that there was a place where I was going to be good. There was a place where I was okay. You know, this is pre-Title IX. This is, you know, so for me, baseball was this connection, this lifeline. I knew later as an adult, I, I realized that it was uh, most definitely the thing that kept me alive and moving through some difficult times as an adolescent and in my teenage years, it was a place where I learned I could be okay. And if I was okay someplace, then maybe I'd be okay someplace else. So it was that for me, it was literally a lifeline. And I think that is why I do what I do now, because I start to tell that story sometimes to, to a room full of, of girls and young women and you get that light bulb and they're nodding and they're smiling. And, and so, you know, um, it, it is, um, it is not just, I'm a fan, uh, which, which I am. And it is not just, I teach women's sport history, but I do. Uh, but it is also the thing that allows me to be okay. And so, you know, that's a, that's my connection. The parallels immediately between the way you're talking right now and how you tell the story of Lefty Alvarez are yeah. absolutely striking. Yes, the first they are. Thing, yeah, the first thing that got me about your book was in the very in the introduction when you talked about the idea of sports identity yeah. Yeah. as the lens to look yeah. at a person's life. And I'd never heard that before. And it really did click for me. Tell yeah. me a little more about where that came from. And have you seen other examples of that? Oh, yes. Um, in fact, it uh, sport identity is a concept that I sort of created on my front porch one day when I was trying to make some sense of all of this. I mean, you know, that was my background. That was my story. But then throughout my adult life, I knew other girls and women for whom 
you know, you could point to them and you could say that is a white woman. She's middle class. She's middle aged. She's uh, Catholic. She's whatever. But if you did not insert uh, the the sport as a piece of that identity, you didn't have you don't know who she is. You know, if you if if you uh, know my life story, if you know I am a middle class white woman, um, I am, uh, you know, whatever. But you remove you remove sports from that. You don't have a clue who I am. And so I started to think about that. And, and this idea, this concept of intersectionality and uh, Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, who I adore and, and you know, uh, uh hope that I will be when I grow up. But the, this, this concept of creating an identity based on these different elements, uh, class, race, gender, sexuality, all of those things, is, is crucial to understanding identity. But my argument is for particularly girls, some girls, if you don't include sport in that, you don't have a clue who that person is. And that is true for me. And it is certainly true for lefty and, and so many others. And it doesn't mean you have to be a great athlete. It doesn't mean you have to play a particular sport or even play a sport at all, but it is the way that, that, that connection to sport. And in this case, baseball, that connection to sport absolutely grounds you. And, and it's like a matrix. It's like, that's the stuff that holds everything else together. And it is that lens you know, we look at Lefty's nationality, her ethnicity, her her gender, all of those things, but we have to look at them through the lens of sport, where we really don't understand who she is or what she accomplished or why. That's fascinating because like with any other part of your identity, part of that has to do with your community, right? Absolutely. And finding yeah. that community where you have yeah. people you have yeah. that in common with. Yeah. And it yeah. seems like, you know, through the course of the book, you definitely explore how Lefty mm-hmm. finds community. Oh, yeah. I want to... I want to start off with a little bit of why Lefty. And you talk about in the acknowledgments that Maybelle Blair, who is very well known as being a spokesperson from the AAGPBL, Gave you pushed you to yeah. investigate Lefty, right, and right. I want to know a little bit about about why of all the amazing characters that we have in the yeah. women's baseball world, how did Lefty stand out to her so much? Well, um, it was about Lefty standing out to to Blair, and and a lot of us refer to her as Blair rather than Mabel. It, it was about that, but it was also about my personal connection to Lefty. And I want to tell a, a short story, and I and I I'll try to I'll try to cut it short. But this was my first this was my first time meeting Lefty. It was two thousand three. It was the sixtieth anniversary of the AAGPBL. It was their reunion in Syracuse, New York. It was my first time. I was so nervous. I was like, you know, these women are like gods, right? And and I didn't want to intrude. You know, I'm a southerner. You know, I'm a good southern girl. I don't want to intrude. And and so so I got there, and it was early, and I you know I kind of went up to my room, and and then finally I returned to the lobby. It was full of gray-haired women, all of them talking at once and all this activity. And I'm standing there going, wow, I can't believe I'm here. When all of a sudden, this this woman, this short, bubbly woman runs up to me and she says, have you seen Jane? And I said, uh, I don't know Jane. And and before I could even really finish that sentence, she 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 that was lefty, by the way. She said to me, holy cow, there she is here. <laughs> 
here, can you carry this? And she handed me her suitcase. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. So I followed, I followed Lefty across the lobby. And we walked up to this woman who was much more, you know, sort of sturdy and confident. And and I I walked up to them, you know, goofy and holding this this suitcase. And Jane, that was Jane Moffat, who was vice president of the Players Association, a former ball player. She didn't even look at me. She looked at Lefty and she said, Who's this? And Lefty said, I don't know. And, and, and Jane, Jane said, well, what, you just gave a stranger, you just gave this your suitcase to a stranger? And she said, well, she had a nice face and, you know, I think she was okay. And I'm standing there, I'm old enough, I'm telling my age now, I'm old enough to remember Candid Camera, right? And I'm going, okay, what is happening here? You know, so before I could even say anything, though, I hear this voice behind me. Well, I don't know, Jane. She does have a really nice voice. And I turn around to look into not the face of, but the chest of six foot two Baines Reisinger, who said, yeah, she does have a nice face. And she's got, <laughs> she's got a funny name, Kit Kat. I renamed Kit Kat to Beans Reisinger until she died in 2008. Um, oh, and, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, there is something really weird going on here. And so <laughs> Beans then says to the two of them, yeah, I think we're okay with her. In fact, Jane, I think she can carry your luggage too. So they took <laughs> off the truck. They took off across the, the lobby and I was following them carrying both Jane's and Lefty's suitcases. And I never looked back. And you know, there are those moments in our lives where things happen and you, you, just no. And and I went outside and, and I called home and I said, you know, you know, those things that happen and you know your life is never going to be the same. This is one of those times. And it never was. It never has been the same. And Lefty and I became friends. And so that, that, that story didn't tell you why I left the in terms of the book so much as it did just to give you a sense of that personality. And we became friends. And I have always had a passion for Cuba, for Cuban history, for Cuban culture. And so knowing that she came from Cuba and I, we asked questions and, you know, she started telling me these stories. Like her father was a, quote, policeman under Batista. That's heavy. That's very her heavy. Brother, her brother fought with Castro. Yeah. Okay. So, and I'm like, whoa. All right. These are stories I want to hear. We're doing this, right? Rubbing your hands together. And and so I really, that was the thing. It was her, it was her story, right? It was her who who she is, who she was. But she kept saying to me, as I kept trying to say, Yeah, you know, I want to do this book, Lefty. I want to do this book. She said, Don't do a book on me. I'm nobody. I wasn't the best player, I wasn't the best pitcher. And she wasn't. But she is the epitome of sport identity. She is the epitome of what, but what real baseball does for people, and and Blair has been my friend um, uh, from the first time we met, and much of what I've done in the world of women's baseball, I've done because Maybell Blair has kicked my ass. Um, so it is, uh, it is no, uh, you know, it's no surprise really that she's the one who said you got to write this book. You know, and and she kept calling me and saying, well, how far along are you? And and so, you know, the stories of Lefty, though, she is just, you know, you start to you start to hear those stories and you talk to her and you realize just what an absolutely incredible human being. And 
And I did not, you know, I, I didn't feel worthy of telling the story. I mean, she was, she was, she is uh, magnificent. The fact that the book starts not with her childhood so much, but like way back into Cuban yeah. history, I think threw yeah. me for a little bit of a loop. I didn't yeah. expect that. I thought we would jump into kind of like the, the chaos and joy and like right. community. But yeah. no, but we start way before that. Tell me why you you kind of said you set yeah. that farther back to lay that groundwork. Yeah, well, one of the things is that I didn't want this to be the traditional biography. Um, I didn't want this to be, oh, you know, the great, a story about this wonderful picture or, you know, so that's part of it. But the other thing is it's important that context is important. We cannot remove lefty or lefty's career as a ball player or any of that. We cannot remove that from the context of Cuban history. And, and so to me, that is an extremely important piece of this story. Um, uh, baseball for, for Cubans, uh, baseball for Cuba is, you know, it's the, it's the passion of the island, right? It's, it, it is extremely important. It gave lefty that same sort of, of anchor that it gave me, but it also gave that to Cubans, you know, during the earlier in the latter part of the 19th century, when Cuba was fighting yet again for independence from from Spain, uh, the Spanish so feared baseball, they outlawed it. So we can't remove baseball and from that context of, of Cuban history or vice versa. So it was important for me, in part because I'm a historian, but it was important for me that, that le- Lefty be put into that mix, that she be put firmly into that story. So that when we come out of that that history, when we come out of that story, she's a piece of that. She's a uh, she's an example of it, and a female example of it. You know, Lefty herself said, "You know, I am I am part of good Cuba sporting stock," and and so that is uh, that 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 continuum was important to me. And anytime I think we can use sport or specifically baseball to teach some history, that's not a bad thing. I teach a class at Marshall called Baseball in the Americas, and that allows me to talk about Latin America. We talk about baseball, but we also talk about politics and culture and 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 all of that stuff too. So, so it's also a little bit of that, but it's more important for me that Lefty is grounded in that history because she is very much a part of it. I, I keep thinking about, I just want to mention that scene where she goes back at the time of the revolution, because as you're setting up that scene and she's going back with her sponsor, right? I I was, I was just, I couldn't stop reading because I'm like, something big is about to go down right here. They don't know what's coming at them. They have, they had no idea. And Nancy Blee, her friend who was with her, she was telling me that story. And even, Uh, you know, however many years later, she's, she's like, I cannot believe Isabel, and they called her Isabel, not Lefty. I can't believe Isabel marched me into the <laughs> middle of the revolution. And literally. Then, and, yeah, literally. And then brought home a puppy. I mean, it's like, <laughs> what? <laughs> but I'm telling you, that is true Lefty. That's it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, Lefty, by the way, is still alive. She suffers from dementia. But had she, if she was not suffering from dementia, that's the kind of shit she would do. 
I mean, she was, I mean, she was that way with the last time I was around her. She had that kind of spunk. She lived life in that way. And, and so that's one of the things that I hope comes out of this book. It, it absolutely does. And ab- absolutely. Her mom just fascinated me. Is it um, for two days? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So her mom, you know, I, I, you paint this picture of her like trying to like control, you know, yeah. Isabel's future and making sure she's set up and all of this. And then out, out of what I think is nowhere, but now I know it's out of, you know, Cuban national interest. She's a yeah. huge baseball fan. Right. I did not see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm sorry. Did you have yeah, a, yeah. Um, well, yeah. And that's something that, you know, I kind of grappled with how I place her within that, that story of the family being baseball fans and, and I decided to go that way because it's like, you know, she's just like everybody else, right? I mean, but the most amazing story about her mother and her family watching or listening to the baseball games on the radio, and they lived down the street from the national stadium, so they would open their windows and they could hear the cheer of the crowd through the windows while they're listening to the game. Her mother would light a candle for her team. I mean, it, you know, it's just this, they were not different than any other family in Cuba. Her mother, I am not a psychologist, nor would I attempt to analyze someone many years after their death, but her mother was a very complicated woman. Absolutely. I join you in this uh, fascination of Latin American history through baseball. I would love to take your course, by the way. I come from international relations, Latin American study background, and I work with immigrants now. I teach uh, English to immigrant students who are mostly from Latin America. So I was, you know, super interested in the theme from the get-go. But what really struck me was the, the talk about the tour that they went yeah. on the, the yeah. women's baseball tour through Latin America. I had never heard of something like that before. Yeah. So yeah. I felt bad that I didn't know that little piece of history yeah. and right. that they, that it was the Cuban team, right. And a couple of the uh, AAG PBL teams that had the plan for the tour. Well, and it, it seems like yes. things got, you know, shifted a little bit at the time. Right. Right. Um, actually, it was the sort of the brainchild of Arthur Meyerowitz, who uh, took over running uh, the AAG PBL after Philip Wrigley. And Philip Wrigley was and, and some other owners were the ones, as most people know that history. He They started this league. But Wrigley really pretty quickly. OK, the war's winding down. And Meyerowitz was the one who he was an, uh, an advertising guy by by trade right so he took over he understood that there needs to be marketing there needed to be some expansion and um and he it was it was uh Meyerowitz who uh came up with the idea of going to spring training in Cuba in 1947 and that's of course where they met Lefty and this tour was a way to expand the idea of of women's baseball and with the hope that there might be an international women's baseball league. So the teams were made up of some Cuban players and some players from the All-Americans. So they were a mixed team in, in many, in many cases. And yeah, it was amazing. I mean, they, they went to, to Venezuela and Puerto Rico and Nicaragua. And I mean, just, you know, you, this was what my first book was about 
the impact of playing in that league on those women's lives. And one of the one of the uh, uh, the, the main points of it of that is that they were exposed to things. They traveled. I mean, many of these women were from very poor farm communities or, you know, these are not people who have a lot of money. And, and so that experience, they got on a plane for the first time and they, you know, they ate different food and they met people from other cultures. And so there, the, the impact of that uh, tour, those tours were, uh, was huge on the players. It, they were not successful in creating a, an international women's league, but it had a huge impact on the uh, on the women who were playing, and it brought over, uh, you know, some Cuban baseball players. So, did I get this right that when Lefty was signed, she was thirteen? That was too young to go to the United States, right. but not too young to go on this Latin American tour. Pretty much. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it's, you know, we, we think about that now. A lot of these young women got, were put on trains, not even the Latin American tour, right? But just like uh, uh, somebody who lived out in, I don't know, California, put on a train who traveled to Chicago. Now, who in their, I don't have any kids, but who in their right mind puts their 15, 16 year old daughter on a train by herself and send her to Chicago? I mean, but they did that. They did that. And that was the thing, you know, Lefty's mother was in some ways not like or not unlike a lot of those other um, uh, parents when this opportunity came up for their daughters. Um, and then some of them were a little leery, but, you know, it, but mostly they, they said, yeah, OK, let's do this. And so, yeah, OK, well, we're going to, you know, we're going to go to the palace and dance with President Samosa. You know, okay, sure, no problem. I'm only 14, but let's do that, right? So, you know, it was a, of course, it was a different time, but it was, but um, when you think about it from today's perspective, it's a little scary. Oh, absolutely. Talk, I mean, talking about other, you know, dictatorships throughout Latin America. I'm just, exactly. I'm so much enjoying this lens at looking at Latin American history through yeah. baseball and yeah. looking at women's baseball also. And right. I'm wondering what happened then if, if this wasn't successful for mm-hmm. women's baseball in Latin America. Are you following women's baseball in Latin America? Is this something you might be going into more? Because I am definitely fascinated. In oh, that idea. Um, Yes, uh, uh, there are a lot of ways and a lot going on. Um, you know, the sad part about, and, and I will talk about this, I'm sure, when we talk more about the IWBC, but there are a lot of places, particularly places in Latin America, where women's baseball is huge uh, today and, mm-hmm. and very successful. I mean, internationally, women's baseball is enormous. I, I mean, the countries that have women's baseball, and I'm not just talking about every two years or every four years we get a team together and play in the Pan Am games, right? Um, I, you know, Japan and Korea and um, Australia and Great Britain and Canada and Cuba and Venezuela and and Vietnam has a women's baseball team, for God's sake. I mean, you know, we we just, we can't, wrap our heads around it in this country. But women's baseball is huge internationally. And I, even though this particular connection to the All-Americans back in the, the 40s didn't produce a league, right? It 
that doesn't mean that it didn't continue to introduce women's baseball to small towns, mm-hmm. uh, larger cities, and 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 girls and women played the game. And so, in in a sense, it brought baseball. It not introduced baseball to Latin America. That was not the United States, by the way. That was Cuba that did that. But but you know, women and girls have played the game. They've always played the game. We've always coached. We've always umpired. We've always tended the fields and kept the stats. We've always been part of it. And that is certainly true in Latin America as well. And it's just getting the story out there. That's the problem. Yeah. Getting- yeah. yeah. This idea that, oh, women are getting involved. I mean, this is, this is the yeah. language uh. that is going to put me over the edge this this idea that um, oh women are making inroads into baseball, women are getting into baseball. Um, it, no, they're it's not. Like that you're finally they're, noticing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There's so much to be included in this book in this story of Lefty, and one thing that I noticed that you didn't focus a lot on was the actual play. Like what was going on during the game? I mean, you talked a little bit about lefty stats. I'm wondering uh, where that choice came from. If it came from lefty's own commentary, how she talks about Mm -hmm. what she really remembers as community Mm -hmm. more than the actual play, or was Mm -hmm. it something bigger than that? Um, Well, it, it comes from a couple of places, and that is certainly the primary one. You know, lefty's story of being a baseball player is... You know, we could do the whole, you know, on this day we played this team and I pitched mm-hmm. and I did this and I did that. I mean, you know, we, we could do that. Right. And and um, but then really, who cares? Um, and and yep. or we could step back and talk about the the importance of baseball in her life. You know what she called her sport self, the way she retreats back to it, the way she reaches out and connects to it. And the way she, quote, uses it, that's the story here. That's the way, that's the importance. Lefty was not a superstar. She was a good ball player, but she was not a superstar. And, and that, was, that was one of the things that made it difficult to convince her to let me do the spark because she kept, oh, no, you need to write a book about Kamenchak. You need to write a book. About, like, no, we have 12 of those. We don't need those. We don't need one more. Isn't this great how good this ball player is? We need to talk about the importance of baseball. We need to talk about the importance of baseball in your life. And so there, there was, it's multifaceted, right? It, there, it's about her story and about, about what she kept talking about, how she would lose herself and then she would find herself. When, it, when she was reconnected with baseball or the people uh, from baseball. But then again, it, it's also about my own story, right? It's my own perspective. And, and so all of that mushes up together to, to create this particular perspective. You know, the games themselves, the stories about who pitched, uh, when she pitched and, and, and stuff like that. I, you know, I, I, she did not ask me to put those stats in there. I insisted. And, you know, it, it's just not the point of baseball, really. I mean, this gets to the one of the things that also puts me over the edge is this, you know, when you're talking to people sometimes about women and girls in baseball, almost across the board, and it's usually a man will say, well, you know, there's never going to be a woman in the major leagues. I don't care. I don't care. Who cares? I mean, 
How, what is the percentage of boys who play Little League, who play in high school or even college, who make it to the big leagues? Tiny, tiny percentage. So does that mean they shouldn't get to play because they're not going to make it to the big leagues? And, and that also then does a disservice to the extremely important definition of baseball. And it's not who makes, you know, $4 million per strike or whatever. And, you know, that's not truly the history of baseball. And I, so, I would, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I'm sorry, because I, I would not stop unless you stop me. So. Well, absolutely. We don't want you to stop. This is fascinating. But I just wanted to thank you because you just made me feel so much better about my own fandom. Because when yeah. I hang out with, uh, you know, our sort of, you know, baseball podcast friends and fans yeah. who talk about the specific play from the third game of the, you know, 1986 yeah, right. series. Yeah. And, and they remember the play. I remember the experience, you know, right. I remember right. the world right. series as, as a feeling, as an experience yeah. where the ups and downs were, right. but right. not every detail. I'm not right. a, and I love stats, yeah. but yeah. I really like this view of, mm-hmm. you know, the bigger picture about mm-hmm. baseball and the feeling there. Yeah. And so we do talk about baseball frequently as a microcosm. Mm-hmm. Because yes. everything oh, yeah. that happens in the world kind of happens in baseball and the whole, you know, stick to sports thing. It's like, okay, we stick to sports and we talk about labor and we talk about immigration and, yeah. you know, we talk about economics and all of those things. It's a yeah. microcosm yeah. of all of those That's things. Right. That's right. And it, it, it is. I mean, I think sports are in general that way. Uh, baseball is unique in, in many, many ways and because in, in part because it is so steeped in tradition. Like, you know, we, we, oh, this is, you know, baseball became this, this very androcentric, uh, it's all about American baseball, you know, turn of the 20th century, uh, when the Mills Commission was sent out by Spalding to uh, find the research to prove that baseball was indeed America's game and that it was commanded <laughs> here and all. And, you know, it's just, it's like, it's, it's all wrapped up in that, but but it is just it is infuriating to me because it is it diminishes the importance of the game, it diminishes the beauty of the game, it diminishes the the people who live it and breathe it and and play it and I, I just it is infuriating and this idea that measuring the success of of any female ball player, umpire, coach, whatever, by whether or not she makes it to the major leagues, which of course we know she's not because that's not going to happen, you know, but measuring it that way is just, it's a slap in the face. And, and, you know, it ignores the fact that, that, you know, one of the things I, I often say in interviews and stuff is that, you know, baseball cannot, should not be called America's game when half of Americans can't play it. And so that that's, you know, if what you're doing is measuring it by the, by major league baseball, then we're screwed. Yeah. Right. So that, yeah, that is a pet peeve. <laughs> Sorry to go off oh, on that. Tell. That is a serious pet peeve. We're totally with you on that. And also the idea, I mean, I, I'm, impressed or it strikes me that you have the international women you weren't talking about doing an american women's baseball center but you're looking at the sport as something international something unifying something to bring us together and to appreciate what's going on in other places as well as in this country that's right 
before we go completely on on the uh, IWBC, I just wanted mm-hmm. to go back to the the character of of Lefty and how endearing she is, yeah. and how you really brought her spirit to life so much throughout the book. And Thank I you. love the phrase "Holy cow!" And Holy I just had cow. to come back to that because <laughs> she yeah. says it all the time, and yeah. I just oh, yeah. could picture this you know this little vivacious person just. Disp- funky yeah. character. Uh, do you yeah. know where she got that? Like, why did I, that become such of her, her catchphrase? Yeah, I do know. Um, she, um, I'm going to get, I'm going to probably be wrong on the date, so I'm not even going to attempt it. But in one of the years that she, uh, um, all the international players had to have a contract in order. They had to go home, uh, back to their home countries after uh, the season was over and they had to have a con a new contract in order to come back to play. And um, so it, it may have been, uh, gosh, I can't remember now, maybe 1950, 49, 50. She and uh, uh, Merta, one of the other Cuban players flew back to Miami together and their manager picked them up at the airport and drove them to Chicago. And so on that road trip, something happened and Lefty said, uh, ah, shit, or something like that. And, <laughs> and he said, oh, that's not language for a lady. If you see something or if something bothers you, say, holy cow. So she started saying, holy cow. And, and, and there's a way, it's not just like you or I might say, oh, holy cow. No, it's holy cow. I mean, there's this, like, this, you know, it, it, it's as if she speaks from her entire body, you know, it's, ah, oh, holy cow. And, and, and it just, I mean, it really is pretty hysterical, but she does. She, she, uh, she, she, it's almost as if it leaps out of her, but that's where it came from. I love that. And I think potty mouth might start using that. Yes. And, and- <laughs> I've nicknamed Potty Mouth that because when we go to games together, she can't help but express herself in colorful terms. And there seem to be toddlers nearby when she does it the most. And I I think maybe if we could focus you on the holy cow thing, maybe that would help. And and, and as long as it doesn't become, because this is my problem, holy effing cow. Right? (laughs) That would happen like this. That would happen. I understand. Yeah, yeah. That's also, by the way, Araldus Chapman's middle name when we talk about him. So well, you insert yeah. that word a lot into things. You know, just you know as, a, as a Cincinnati Reds fan, I kind of feel the same way. <laughs> so. I'm an Ohio girl. I'm all for that. Um, there were two things that I wrote down. I was reviewing my notes. I read the book several weeks ago so I could give it to Potty Mouth in plenty of time. And so I had things kind of written down in the form of a question. And then I had okay. two things just sort of hanging. But I kind of feel like they're two of my takeaways from the book. One of them mm-hmm. is the phrase relying on other Cuban players. Mm-hmm. And the other one was when in hard times, a place that was safe where I knew I was strong. Yeah. Yeah. The relying on Cuba, other Cuban players, I'm I'm assuming you're talking about in, in- literally in terms of, you know, surviving yes. um, immigration, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and she did, and that was important. And I think it was, um, well, I, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to put words in her mouth. I mean, it was important to her and she felt that sense of, uh, God, there's, there's somebody here, you know, she was propped up a little bit. But then she's the one that stayed, right? She's yeah. the one that became an American citizen and she's the one that wanted to be here. And so 
the interesting thing about it was it's like they were they helped to provide a bridge and and they they did help her but ultimately it was the rest of her baseball family that that sort of then took over from that and this idea of someplace you know where she could ultimately uh, be okay until she was strong elsewhere is comes you know the two of us have had that conversation so many times and you know i um i describe it a certain way and and she described it a different way and then we we would talk about it and and for both of us it would come back to the very same uh very same idea of i didn't feel okay anywhere and for me my next part of that sentence is I didn't feel okay anywhere except shortstop. And, mm-hmm. and for lefty, it was, I didn't feel okay anywhere except the ballpark. And, and so what that, I mean, both of us, I mean, we bonded over that certainly, but, but it was also our stories diverge in a lot of different ways, but, but they, they really kind of walk a similar path in that, you know, I, I think without baseball, without sports, and by the way, Lefty was an incredible athlete. You know, I talk about the fact she fenced, she played volleyball. She, I mean, she was an incredible athlete. But it, this, this, the fact that she had this thing to hang on to in the midst of a freaking revolution, right? I mean, she had this thing to hang on to, and and um, so yeah, you know, that's that's the truth. That's that's the true nature of and the importance of baseball and um you know every single class i teach i i have my students write what i call their baseball bio and and i tell them you know everybody has a baseball bio i don't care if you've never seen a baseball game i don't care if you hate baseball you have a baseball bio and what is it you know think about it and so i started that after having these conversations with Lefty, because what I realized was it was so not about, you know, what's your batting average. It was about your personal connection to, to baseball. Um, and so those are, I'm glad those are two things that you, that you came away with because those are two really important things. I think it's clear that we could go on talking about this book, that we we adored it. I'm going to encourage, of course, all of our listeners to go out and get it as soon as you can. Um, you. To, to wrap up a little bit, could mm-hmm. you say a few words about Women in Baseball Week and the International mm-hmm. Women's Baseball Center? Yes, and, absolutely. you know, why we should all be out there celebrating this week? That's right. Well, I uh, this is our fourth um, uh Women in Baseball Week, and that was the brainchild of one of our board members, uh, uh, Ryan Woodward, who is uh, invaluable to to this whole thing. The International Women's Baseball Center is, uh, you know, started literally over pizza and beer about five years ago when the rest all the of best all- things do really. Oh, oh, you know, we have uh, February twenty second, two thousand fourteen. Um, we now on February 22nd, we call it Founders Day. We do this thing where we encourage everybody to have pizza and beer and then take pictures of your pizza and beer and post it. And, We're on it. <laughs> and we going we, on my calendar. Very awesome. We literally over pizza and beer. We're like, we need this. We need this. We need this. And there's no home base for women's baseball. You know, people take a pilgrimage to Cooperstown, to the Baseball Hall of Fame, and they have 
and they have a nice exhibit of women in baseball. But that is not ours. And so the IWBC was created um, to uh, we our ultimate goal is to build a center. Uh, it's not just a museum. It's a center. It's an educational center, a baseball hall, a women's baseball hall of fame in Rockford, Illinois, the home of the Rockford Peaches. Uh, we have property there. We've done a number of events there. We already have a home there. Um, our facility is, uh, you know, we're we're a ways off on that. But but the but the point of the IWBC was to preserve and protect the long history of girls and women in baseball. And but not to just put that in a little dark corner someplace in some dusty old you know acid free folder or put a uniform under a glass case. We got to bring that history out of the shadows and use it. It's exciting and it's alive. It has to be, it has to be brought out and used because I am a firm believer in if you can't see it, you can't be it. And, and every single time a girl, when Monet Davis, it, I will never forget this. When Monet Davis was pitching for in, in the little league world series and ESPN, I don't remember which guy it was ESPN announcer said, do girls even play baseball? Oh and I'm like, ah, ah, you know, it's like, you know, so even the people who are supposed to know don't know, right? So, so the IWBC is about preserving that history, but it's about using that history because we have to bring it to those girls and tell them they stand on the shoulders of greatness. And so that's the goal of the IWBC, but we also we uh, co-sponsor with other organizations, uh, girls tournaments. Um, uh, last year, we, we uh, uh, hosted the Baseball for All Girls National Tournament. We had 400 girls play baseball in Rockford, Illinois, on the on Byer Stadium where the Peaches played. And let me just let me just say, you have not lived until the opening ceremonies, uh, in the opening ceremonies, they have all the teens out in the outfield and they're in their uniforms. And these are, they have, they start with like age 10 and, and go up and they're, they have their banners for their teams. So they start with the 10 year olds, 10 year olds, right? So they march into Bayer where the peaches played and those 10 year old girls in their uniforms march into the arms of 92-year-old Maybelle oh, Blair God. and 85-year-old Shirley Berkovich. And I'm telling you, if you watch that and the hair doesn't stand up on the back of your neck, you are not breathing. It's and doing that now. I'm not even seeing it. Yeah, that's right. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. It's bringing the pioneers of the past together with the pioneers of the future because without both pieces of that, we're not going anywhere. But the cool thing about that, every single one of those 10-year-old girls, they knew who Maybelle Blair was. They knew who Shirley Berkovich was. And they thanked them. And they recited lines from, from a league of their own. That's what we're doing. You know, it's it, we don't want to be some lofty, old, dark, dusty museum. This is alive. And this is the kind of thing we want to do. And ba Women in Baseball Week is one way that we do that. And it has become international. I mean, it's amazing. We have, we have an amazing group of people who are contacting us every year saying, what can we do? We want to be part of Women in Baseball Week. And 
it's just we we have got to celebrate that history, but we also have to celebrate what we're doing today um, because it's a it's a continuum. It, it wasn't, you know, I'm all I love the all Americans. I love that history. But if you draw a timeline of of of, Amer- of of American women's baseball history or women's baseball history, the all Americans would be this big on that timeline. Right. And it's an important piece. It's an it. it but that's that's tiny. Yet, if anybody knows anything at all about women's baseball, that's all they know because of that movie. So you got to fill that in. Right. And so Women in Baseball Week gives an opportunity for just the casual fan, you know, to click on something on social media and say, oh, OK, I want to learn a little more about that. Right. But it also gives us an opportunity to, uh, you know, just I don't know, like, sing the praises of people that we may not know. And 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 yet people that had huge roles in girls and women in baseball. How can we mere mortals get involved? Uh, well, uh, we would love to have uh, mortals or otherwise uh, involved. <laughs> and and um, uh, certainly uh, anyone can become a member of the IWBC by going to our website, internationalwomensbaseballcenter.org. And also just, you know, you can become a member, but it's also, you know, volunteer, follow us, follow there are we are not the only organization by any means that that is working on um, uh, bringing women's baseball sort of out of the shadows. But get involved by volunteering, going to events, sharing um, information on social media. I mean, my God, what you guys do with this podcast, the very name of your podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, where does that come from? We know where that comes from. We know where that comes yes, from. Yes, we do. We know where that comes <laughs> from. And, 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 and I know you're not, your podcast and what you do is not just about women's baseball, but the sheer name, when somebody hears that name, what do they do? Right. So you're doing it too. That's, that's the thing. It's, it's, there are a million different ways that people can be part of this movement and it is a movement. And, you know, I was interviewed um, a, a, a few days ago, and, and one of the last questions was, "What do you, what do you, what is your dream? Like, what do you want, right? What do you want to see? What would be your dream?" And you know, I, I stumbled over it, and I don't know. Um, but I, I just, you know, I think about that, and it's like, you know, I'm 62 years old, and I want to stay. I want to live long enough to stand in the lobby of the International Women's Baseball Center and watch uh, 10-year-olds and 12-year-olds walk in and touch their history and see that, you know, they are part of something bigger. I want to stand there with Maybelle Blair and watch that happen. And, um, and, and that's, that, that's huge, right? I mean, there's no other place on the planet where there is a physical place for women's baseball except Rockford, Illinois. And that's pretty damn cool. That's pretty damn cool. And I want this damn pandemic to close its doors so we can come visit and hang with you and see this and be part of this. And this is this we would love it. We would love it. We would love it. And in fact, you know, the pandemic is not stopping us, right? We we are um hosting along with Sabre, Society of American Baseball Research, the second Women in Baseball Conference, the only one in the world. 
uh, and it will be the weekend of September 11th through 13th. It had been scheduled to be um, at Rockford University, but of course it will be virtual. Uh, and we're also doing, this is the 100th anniversary of the Negro Leagues uh, this year. And we are doing a big celebration uh, for uh, that, for the Negro Leagues, but we are also focusing then on black women, African-American women um, in baseball as a way to do that. So, you know, follow us. Uh, we are having events and the pandemic, eh, yeah. eh, whatever. We'll get through it. Yeah, we will. We will. Kat, thank you so much. We could do this forever, but we're going to let you go. Um, And we just hope everybody goes out and gets that book about Isabel Lefty Alvarez and follows the International Women Baseball Center and gets involved and really embraces women in baseball like we tell you to do every single week. Thanks so much, Kat. Thank you. I sure appreciate it. It was fun.